0: We're going to be continuing in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24 today. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... to visit Cephas, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me this is the word of the Lord let's pray dear father we thank you for your word we thank you that it's true we can trust it we thank you that in your word you tell us of your rescue plan for your people the plan to change hearts through the power of the gospel By the work of the Spirit because of what Jesus has done Father, we pray this day that you would encourage us through your word and that you would convict us of our sin remind us of our need for Jesus we pray these things in Jesus name amen so before we continue with Paul's letter to the Galatians I want to pose a question to you is there something in your life that you think Man, if I had that thing, people would really like me. People would really approve of me. Man, would I have friends. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a personality trait, a body type, whatever it might be. Is there something that you think in your mind, if I just had that thing, that it would change my life for the better? Ultimately, It would bring the approval that I so desperately long for. Well, I'll tell you what mine was. When I was in high school, I really wanted a lifted truck. Now, you may laugh, but all my buddies, all my friends, they had one, and I thought if my truck was lifted with big tires on it, then I would fit right in, and all my relationship problems would be over. Now, on this side of the story, we laugh, right? And you may say, did you seriously believe that? And the answer is yes. And it may seem silly to you right now, but I seriously, genuinely believe that. But friends, how often do we do this? It may not be with a lifted truck for you. But how often do we seek the approval of people and think that their approval will satisfy us? This is what we're going to be talking about today in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And how the gospel interacts with that struggle. The struggle that we often feel is seeking the approval of people, thinking that that approval is going to satisfy us. So after opening the letter by telling the people what they were doing wrong and how they were letting people corrupt the gospel, Paul begins to defend himself. Now, many scholars believe the people who were opposing Paul in Galatia at this time were saying bad things about him. They were badmouthing him. They were claiming Paul didn't know what he was talking about. That Paul didn't know the truth about Jesus, and he was just making all this grace stuff up so that he could be famous, so that he could have the most followers. But Paul, hearing these attacks on his character, and specifically on the gospel message, begins his defense. And in this defense, what I want us to listen for is how the power of the gospel redefines Paul's place before God and man, And how the power of the gospel changes Paul's purpose in this life. How the power of the gospel redefines Paul's place and purpose. Those are going to be our points today. Starting with the power of the gospel. What makes the good news of the gospel different from everything else in the world? See, every message in the world promises something. And the messages that aren't the gospel, they can't deliver When the gospel promises something, it actually delivers because it actually has power. Why does it have power? Well, one one reason the gospel has power is because it comes from the source. Paul begins his defense by arguing that the gospel, the good news that he is preaching, it isn't of man. We see this in verse 11. He says, the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not something that was made up by man. It's not something derived from man. Paul argues that he, he gets it directly from Jesus, and he wants to say that because he wants the people of Galatia to know that the gospel has not been corrupted. The gospel Paul is preaching has power because he got it directly from the source. Paul wants the church to know that the gospel message hasn't been messed up or misinterpreted by him or anyone else as his opposition wants them to think. He says he didn't get it from a man. Nor was he taught it by men. He received it directly from the source, Jesus Christ. Now we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Paul's conversion in a minute. But I want us to be reminded that when Paul receives the gospel message, he receives it directly from Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was not just a voice. It was not just an experience. Paul had an experience directly with the person of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that's how he got the gospel message let me give you an example of this. Some of you have played the telephone game. If not, it's okay. It's a very simple game. I'll explain it. Everyone would get in a circle, and the first person, so say, for example, I'm starting, I would whisper a phrase to the person next to me, and as the phrase gets whispered around the circle, inevitably, the phrase is changed. Sometimes it gets more changed, right? Sometimes less, but inevitably, it's not exactly the same when it gets back to the person who started it. Now, what Paul is telling us in verses 11 and 12 is that he didn't receive the gospel message through the telephone game. He heard it directly from the person who made it possible, Jesus himself. So it's trustworthy. and It has power because it comes from the source. Now, maybe you've experienced this in a different way. If you're at work and someone who is not your boss tells you to do something, but it doesn't seem quite right, you might decide, you know what, I'm going to call the boss on this one. Before we go digging this person's yard up or we give that product to the customer, I'm going to call the boss. Now why would you do that? Because you think the message has been corrupted. It's not true. You don't trust what this person is telling you. But Paul is assuring the Galatians that he got this message from the boss and it isn't messed up. He continues to defend the authenticity of the source of the gospel by claiming he didn't talk it over with a bunch of He didn't conspire with anyone. He argues in verse 17 that he went straight from his conversion in Damascus, on the road there to Damascus, to Arabia, which would have been east of all the Christian activity. Then he came back to Damascus, didn't consult with the apostles then, and it wasn't until three years later that eventually he meets up with Peter, Cephas in the passage, and James, the Lord's brother. He, He meets up with them to talk about the gospel that he had received. And in chapter 2, we see that their response is essentially, oh yeah, that checks out with us. That's what Jesus told us. That's what we learned from him. So Paul is encouraging the people of Galatia that this message he has is from Jesus. It's not made up by him. It's not corrupted by other men. And there's power in the message because it comes from the source of all truth, Jesus Christ. So that's first, the source. But second, The gospel has power because it's transformative. It makes things happen. Paul appeals to the radical life change that he experienced to show that the gospel really has power and that it isn't just made up. We see Paul's own testimony of this in verses 13 through 16 of how he goes from a hater of the church to a preacher for the church. And this is proof that the gospel has power. Paul is trying to tell us that only something with real power could have changed him this way. The gospel is not just another self-help book, but it really changes things. So, for example, back to my lifted truck story. A lifted truck doesn't make you cooler. Well, maybe some people may think you're cool, but a lifted truck can't change who you are the way the gospel will. Now, whether it's a lifted truck or a new pair of Lululemon shorts a weight on the scale, or a number in your bank account, what we try to do is we tell ourselves that this thing we are chasing will change my status with people. It will give me the approval that I wanted and I will be accepted. But friends, it's a lie. The only thing that can really and truly make a change in your life and give you the acceptance that you long for is the power of the gospel in Jesus. The reason it's effective at changing us is because it has the power to do so. The gospel is not just something we add to ourselves. It completely changes us from the inside out, which is something we cannot do on our own. while it doesn't necessarily give us the acceptance of others, the gospel gives us something better. It gives us the eternal acceptance of God. Our father. Which brings us to the third reason the gospel has power. So we've got the source, it's transformative. <clears throat> the third reason is because it's God's sovereign plan. The gospel is not about Paul, it's not about you or me. It's all about, and it's all because of God's sovereign plan. See, Paul describes to us how it was God who set him apart. Before he was born, called him, and it was God who was pleased to reveal his son to Paul in order that Paul would be changed. It was not Paul's choice to change. It was not something he researched and then decided, you know what, today I'm going to give up killing Christians and go preach their message. The gospel cut like a knife into Paul's heart, totally against his will. Again, unlike the thought process I had in wanting a lifted truck, which involved looking at pictures of trucks on the internet and thinking, man, I'd look cool in that. Paul's conversion was more like being hit by a truck. If you remember the story from Acts 9, Paul's conversion. Paul is on the way to Damascus to do some more persecuting. He's going to persecute the church, killing Christians, dragging them out of their homes, when all of a sudden he gets hit with a blinding light. And has a direct experience with Jesus. We see this in verse 12. When he says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see that light, that experience was so intense. That Paul was left blind for three days. Paul after this conversion experience. He receives his sight. He goes to Damascus. Now not to kill Christians. But to preach Christ. Totally, completely changed. And Paul is telling us that nothing he could have done to himself would ever have made this change happen. No research, no self help, no workout routine would ever have changed his heart in this way. The only explanation was the sovereign power of God and the direct contact with his Savior. Now, this is confirmed for us in verse 15 and 16 when Paul says he was set apart before he was born. Called by God's grace. These were not things Paul did. They were the sovereign work of God. Which brings us to our second point <clears throat> Paul's new place or his new identity. It was at this point that Paul's place before God was redefined. Paul went from being a man pleaser to being a servant of Christ. We see this in verse 10. Paul says this, but what does he mean? What does he mean by a man-pleaser, and what does he mean by a servant of Christ? Well, when he talks about being a man-pleaser, Paul is not necessarily referring to just trying to make someone happy. I assume most of the men in this room tried to make their spouse happy on Valentine's Day. Guys, Valentine's Day was this week. (laughs) Uh, Despite how you may feel about the commercialization of Valentine's Day, there's nothing wrong with trying to make your spouse happy. There's nothing wrong with doing nice things. So what's Paul talking about? When we look a little deeper in the language here, it really points to Paul saying, I'm not trying to please man at the expense of the gospel. I'm not trying to tell people what they want to hear just so they will like me or listen to me or follow me people that Paul was opposing here, the people opposing Paul, they were accusing him of trying to say things or saying things that were what the people wanted to hear. Now Paul is saying, I'm no longer seeking the approval of men and the fleeting admiration of people. He said, I am simply being faithful to the gospel message given to me by Christ. Paul admits in verse 10 that in the past, He was trying to please man, right? If I were still trying to please man, he says in verse 10. And just like you and me, he struggled with wanting the affirmation of people. We see this in Philippians 3 when he lists out his accolades, his accomplishments. He was the best rule follower, the best memorizer, the best persecutor of the church. Most likely he received the praise of the other priests, He probably loved it. His job was where he found his identity, and he loved that. He was willing to do things in his work that he might have thought were wrong because he knew they would receive the praise of others. He wanted people to look at his life and say, man, Paul is a great Pharisee. Just like I wanted people to look at my truck and go, man, that guy's cool. But the gospel changes that. The gospel changed Paul's heart by changing his place with God. No longer was Paul living a life trying to earn his place, trying to earn his position. Because of the good news of the gospel, Paul has now able to realize he was a child of the king. He could rest, knowing he didn't have to seek the approval of others anymore. He was eternally approved of by his father. Paul realized he was eternally delighted in by the king of the universe and it rocked his world. What would it mean for you to truly realize that God loves you and delights in you? What would it mean for you to truly realize that God loves you? And delights in you, not based on anything you have done, but simply because he loves you. Do you think that's true? Do you believe that? Friends, that's what the gospel tells us. That God loves you. Not because of what you do, but because he loves you. And Jesus proved it when he hung on a tree and died for our sin. Friends, God doesn't love you because you have a cool truck or because you look good or you have good grades. He loves you because he chose you and sets you apart before the foundation of the world. That's grace. And that's the good news of the gospel. Friends, this is where we find rest. We can finally let go of trying desperately to find love, to be loved. Not because we've given up. But because we are loved, we have been found by the one whom our soul longs for. When I say this, don't hear me say you'll never again struggle with wanting to please man. Or you'll never seek the affirmation of people again. Just like any sin struggle, we will continue to struggle. But I hope that this passage can be an encouragement to you. That when you do struggle, feeling like you need to seek the approval of friends or family or you can rest knowing that your Father in heaven delights in you as his child. And that his delight in you is not based on your actions, but the actions of another, Jesus Christ. You might need to hear this today if you have just been broken up with, fired from a job, gotten a bad test grade, or you are just feeling inadequate. So I'll say it again. The truth of the gospel is that God loves you because he loves you. Not because of anything you have done or will do. We can rest in that. This brings us to our third point, Paul's new purpose. Resting in this new place of God, that we are love, Paul is given his new purpose. He goes from a persecutor of the church to a preacher. No longer was he trying to destroy the church, he is now trying to build it up. This is a 180-degree turn, a change that could only have come from the work of God in his heart, not Paul's own efforts. And it changes his entire purpose in life. Paul's purpose goes from approval-seeking to resting in his new place as a servant, seeking the glory of his master, not himself. This new purpose is freedom. Why is being a servant of Christ better than trying to please people? In our confession, Michael read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. And he mentioned that at, at first glance, our Western mindset, this may take us aback. But when we realize who it is that bought us and what that means, it brings us security. Being a servant of Christ, as Paul describes in verse 10, is the most secure place you can be. And it leads us to freedom to serve our master. Freedom knowing that we don't have to earn his approval. We don't have to earn it. We can live a life knowing we are eternally secure. In verses 22 through 24, Paul relates how the people of Judea, those closest to the physical origin of the gospel right, near Jerusalem. They didn't know who Paul was but they could tell he had really been changed because of what his life looked like. They say in verse 23, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Paul's mission had completely changed and his purpose was now different. Now instead of trying to please Man, he was working for the glory of his master, which is what happens when these Christians hear about Paul's testimony. As we see in verse twenty-four, they glorify God because of me. Now Paul isn't boasting here. He's resting in the finished work of his Father, who delighted to change his heart. So how does this passage make a difference in our lives today? First, I hope you recognize that the gospel has power. The gospel is true, and it has the power to transform you. The gospel does this not because we make it work, but because God is working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, I hope you realize that in Jesus you are eternally secure, eternally delighted in by your Heavenly Father. Your place with God is forever established. You have no need to seek the approval of people. The Father looks at you as he looks at his Son, He does this not because you do everything right, not even because of the strength of your faith. He says this, and he looks at you as his son because Jesus died in your place and bought you, bought you back out of your sin. Finally, I hope you recognize and realize that what Jesus has done for you not only gives you a new identity, but it gives you a new purpose. You no longer have to live trying to earn a place with others. You can rest knowing your spot is secure and your Father receives all the glory. There's freedom in serving the Father when you're not trying to earn love and approval. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you haven't trusted in Him, and you're tired of trying to earn approval and find security in fleeting things, come to Jesus this morning in faith and repentance. I'll be in the back during communion and after the service. And me or one of our elders, we would love to pray with you. Friends, if you're wondering how the story of my high school longing turned out, I did get a lifted truck. It was a Jeep, to be exact. It had a four-inch lift and 33-inch tires. But it didn't do what it promised. It didn't give me friends or fix my relationship problems. There is nothing in this world that can give you the security you long for because you were made for more than this world. You were made to experience the love of your Heavenly Father, which can only be received through Jesus. See, the good news of the gospel is that it sets you free in your new identity in Christ. It sets you free to bask in the loving embrace of your Heavenly Father, to realize you are eternally loved and delighted in by Him. It sets you free to live out of that love, not trying desperately to find love from things that can't deliver, but to rest in the finished work of Christ and your Heavenly Father's loving smile. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus and for the good news of the Gospel, that you change hearts, that you work in us and through us, that you bring us Out of darkness and into the light. That we don't have to run after approval anymore. But that we can rest in you. In your love for us. Your people. So God we pray this morning that you would bring that comfort to us. And that you would draw us in. And that you would help us to run from the idol. Of self pleasure. And of approval seeking.